0: Turning in our Bibles, then, to our sermon text this morning, which is Genesis chapter 37, as we continue through uh, the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter number 37. The last, uh, uh, the first verse is uh, a summary of uh, the story that we've just been reading the story of Jacob, saying Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. And then there's this familiar uh, heading that we'll, uh, I'll remind you of in just a moment. Uh, These are the generations of Jacob. So this is sort of his family tree, his family line, his history. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel, that is Jacob, loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but... His father kept the saying in mind. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. It's about 50 miles away. Uh, and a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, what are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they are gone away. Uh, they have gone away. For I heard them say, let us go to Dothan, which is a few more miles away. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Then uh, uh, they, they saw him from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he's the firstborn, he rescued him out of their hand, saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand, restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, come. Let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes. And returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol, meaning death itself, to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of guard. And all of God's people say to these words, Amen. Well, uh, it's summertime and maybe you're reading uh, a book this summer. I don't know if you have that habit or not, but uh, pick up a book and uh, read something different, whether it's by the beach or on the on the sand of the beach or maybe by the pool or uh, wherever it might be. Uh, You might be uh, reading a new book. And uh, the temptation always is, of course, we open the book, and there might be a table of contents, uh, a list of chapters, and so forth, and the temptation might be, uh, as we even begin to read, or maybe even before you read, uh, it's always to peek ahead, isn't it, uh, to the end. Um, just for example, off the top of my head, you know, if, you, if you've uh, read Lord of the Rings, it's three very, very, very long books. And uh, you want to know what happened to that to that, to that ring, right? You want to know what happened to Frodo. You want to know what happened to the Shire. And uh, maybe you just can't handle uh, the narrative, all the stories, all the events, all the places, all the people. Uh, and so you kind of skip ahead and you, and you find out what happens uh, in the end. Uh, so we're all tempted to sneak ahead, get a little sneak peek uh, in stories. We come to the last book of Genesis, the last chapter, we might say in, in our terms uh, if you recall, Genesis is divided up not into what we call chapters, there are 50 of them as we, we divide it out. Uh, but we come to the last book, uh, as that uh, verse tells us these are the generations. This is the book of a genealogy of Jacob. And so there are 10 books, 10 books in Genesis. And they all begin with this little phrase, something like, these are the generations of, or this is the book of the generations of genealogy of. And we saw way back when in chapter 1, verse 1 to to 2, verse 3, the creation narrative. It's sort of like a prologue to the whole story. Uh, And then there are 10 books. Uh, There are the generations we saw of the heavens and the earth, uh, of Adam, of Noah, uh, Noah's sons, the generations of Shem, uh, Terah, Ishmael, and Isaac. And we come to the last one here. Uh, the genealogy of Jacob, the story of Jacob. So it's, we've been reading a while, uh, and we're in the story, and perhaps we want to sneak ahead and, and get a peek in chapter 50. Well, how does this story turn out? Uh, we probably know already. Uh, many of us know the story, but if we don't, we'll, we'll have to hold off until chapter 50 uh, for just a little bit longer. But it's the last book. It begins the story of Joseph and begins this narrative. And we have little glimpses here, little hints at the end of the story, uh, where there are these Ishmaelite, Midianite traders who are going with all their uh, collection of spices down to Egypt. And then there's that sort of uh, little preview verse here, this little foreshadowing verse here, at the very end, verse number 38. uh, They had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh. That's a foreshadowing of where the story is going to go. So just keep that in the back of your mind. So we get a little glimpse there—not not not the whole story, but a little glimpse of where uh, this whole thing is going. Now we mentioned a while back that the that the big theme in the in the story of Abraham uh, was the theme of his faith, and the theme of the story of Jacob. Uh, with a theme of grace to undeserving sinners. And now we come to this story of Joseph. It's the genealogy of Jacob, but it's really the story of Joseph. And uh, what we're going to see here are these twin themes throughout these chapters of the providence of God and the preservation of God. We've already seen these themes, but we're going to see in a a greater detail the the providence, the care of God, the the purpose of God, the will of God in all the events and and affairs of human life and how he uses all these events and all these twists and turns to preserve life so that the world, you and I, might have eternal life in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so may the Holy Spirit open our eyes to see, our minds to understand, and our hearts to receive his wonderful words. This morning. And so Genesis 37 is really a story of the suffering of the Savior. I want you to see here, first of all, the sinister plot of his brothers. The sinister plot of his brothers. We pick up in the story with the sons of Jacob. And they're all out in the fields, they're all out in the wilderness feeding the flocks. And Joseph is described here as. Uh, this boy, uh, our, our our translation calls him a, a boy. He was a boy with the sons of Bilha and Zilpah. He's, se- he's seventeen years old. So uh, it, it, this term here, naar, is not a not a boy as we you know would think of our little kids, our little boys, our little sons. But uh, he's sort of an apprentice. He's a young man. Uh, he's sort of acting as an apprentice, kind of a shepherd uh, in this context with his older brothers. And so his dad kind of gives him errands to run on behalf of the family shepherding business. And so uh, he, he's there uh, with his father. Uh, the brothers are all out. And we get kind of a glimpse here again of the holy family and some of the drama and some of the, the dynamic that uh, even godly families can have. Uh, lots of sin, lots of struggle, lots of dysfunction here. Uh, Joseph brought a bad report about his brothers to Jacob. Uh, whatever they were doing, uh, it was bad enough for Joseph to tattletale. And perhaps Joseph may have just liked to tattletale enough so that his dad would like him more and uh, love him even more than uh, even he would let on. So there's sort of this dynamic going on here. Uh, but yet yeah, the, 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 the story puts Joseph sort of separate a apart, distinct from the rest of Jacob's sons. Uh, as if to say something like, you know, he's a righteous man and all these brothers are not. Uh, he's different uh, than the brothers, than this uh, holy fam- uh, the rest of this holy family. In fact, verse 3 tells us, as we just read, Jacob loved Joseph more than any other of his sons. Uh, and that's sort of a warning sign to us of the kind of drama, uh, the kind of sin we're going to see here in our story. Now recall back in chapters 29 and 30, uh, that chronicled the birth of all of Jacob's sons. Joseph, uh, we, we are told here, is the son of his old age. Uh, but who's actually the last son of Jacob? Benjamin, Benjamin right? Benjamin. So it's interesting how the, how the genealogies tell us that Benjamin was the final son, but yet Joseph is described here as the son of his old age, and he loves him more than any other of his sons. And in fact, he he shows that to his brothers, to his own sons, by giving him uh, this technicolor dream coat, right? Um, I'm just saying that as a joke. It's not, uh, if you've seen the play, it's, it's not a technicolor dream coat, but something like uh, a robe of many colors and uh, archaeology shows us that, uh, that there were probably these sort of uh, longitudinal strips of colors that were on this robe of different, uh, different uh, array of the sort of rainbow, as it were, uh, the spectrum of colors. It, it was different. It was sort of a, a, a high-class kind of a thing to show that he was separate from the rest of uh, his sons. He didn't give the rest of them robes like this. He only gave Joseph one. Uh, And so that's why it says he's the son of his old age. Not that he is the last son, no, but he's the son that he favors most and loves most. And that leads to this plot. Sinister as it is, the brothers hated him, verse 4. They could not speak peacefully to him. And what exacerbates their plot even more than their dad's loving Joseph more? Showing that by giving him this sort of high cultured robe. But they hate him even more than they could because of the dreams and the words that he speaks about the dream. Now, what's interesting in in, in the story here is, uh, as we've been reading through Genesis, we've read of many dreams already, haven't we? There's been a lot of dreams so far. But there's something different about Joseph's dreams. Did Did you catch what was different about his dreams? Up to this point, who gives dreams to people when he wants to reveal himself? The Lord. The Lord. This is the first time in Genesis that we've read that someone dreams. In other words, this was his own dream and his own interpretation of his own dream. This wasn't God revealing himself, per se, coming in a dream. Uh, Abraham, Father Abraham, is asleep at night, as we know the story. Uh, And as he lies there asleep, he has a dream of God appearing to him. Uh, as a smoking firepot and a burning torch. Or there's Jacob lying down asleep uh, on his journey uh, and feeling in trouble and distant and running away from his brother. And there's the Lord who reveals himself. God came to him in a dream. God stooped down, we saw, from that, that sort of that structure that he saw. We call it Jacob's ladder. That ziggurat or some kind of a, a structure of the ancient world. God descended down. And then we saw, again, that he not only had a dream, but God wrestled him at night. The difference, though, here is that uh, this is the first time that we read such and such dream, right? So his own sort of desires, his own heart is being revealed in his dream. And that's why they hate him, because he dreams of grandeur. He dreams of being more important higher on the food chain uh, than the brothers. And so his first dream is about he and his brothers. They're they're all binding out these sheaves out in the field. They're harvesting and so forth. But his sheaf stood upright, and the others gather around and bow. And then he gives the interpretation. And then notice the significance was not lost in the brothers. Are you indeed to reign over us? Verse 8. Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more. More. And then he has another dream. It's even clearer than the first. The sun, the moon, and 11 stars. How many sons does Jacob have? How many sons does he have? 12. He has a dream of the sun, the moon, 11 stars. Bow down to Joseph. Notice that. They bow down to Joseph. He's not described as a star here. It's they bow down to him. And then he tells his father, not just the brothers, but his father and his brothers about this dream and that causes Israel or Jacob to rebuke him. And of course, he knows what it means too. Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? Once again, verse 11, his brothers were jealous of him. In fact, they, they use this very sarcastic phrase to describe him. Uh, our translation says, you know, this dreamer, right? Here comes this dreamer, uh, verse number 19. Uh, the term they use here uh, is uh, Baal, which is the term used for not just Baal, the god, but uh, a master of something. He's not just a dreamer, but he, he's pretending to be a lord of dreams, a master of dreams. He has dreams, and he interprets dreams. Now we're going to see that that actually comes true, uh, because because God gives him interpretation later on in the story. But here at least they sarcastically call him the master of dreams. Here he comes, this dreamer. Now all the tension here uh, between uh, between Jacob and, and 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 Joseph and the brothers and Joseph it all sort of leads to the brothers to concoct this sinister plot and to execute it without mercy. Joseph innocently uh, goes out to find his brothers, so that he might, as the story kind of the innuendo is, he might tattle-tale on them. He journeys to them, he finds them, and they see him, verse 18 says, from afar, and before he comes near, they conspired against him to kill him. Now Just stop there for a moment and and, and, and answer this question. How could brothers do this to another brother? How could these brothers do this to one of their very own? Conspire against him to kill him. How could they do this? Well, it's not so hard to imagine, is it? If I sort of changed it up a little bit and said, "Well, how could how could a believer do that to a fellow believer?" Then it would begin to make a little more sense to us, wouldn't it? How could they do this to their own brother? Well, how could you? How could I do anything that we possibly might do against another brother? or a sister don't lose sight of the of, of the fact that again we're confronted in the story here with uh, the outcome of adam's sin and the effects of that sin upon the human race and uh, of our of our own hearts what the lord said of the world just before he flooded it is, is still true of joseph his brothers and you too the lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. If the prophet would say generations later the heart is deceitful above all things desperately wicked or desperately sick who can understand it. here's Here's our sin on full display once again in the story. Yes, Joseph is sort of separated from the other brothers by his dad as a more righteous man, but yet we still get a glimpse of all the sin that is infecting this family and leading it to be what it is and all the, the, all the, all the, all the mess and the drama and dysfunction that even believing families can have within their own family, their own life. The heart is, is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? And so they conspire to kill him. Now, the firstborn son, Reuben, intercedes. He kind of comes to his senses and, 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 and acts something a little more responsible and says, we, we, we can't kill him. Let's just throw him down into this pit, this, this well of water. Now, what's in the well? Nothing. So what do you think is going to happen if you're out in the deserts? You're on a trade route, and you're there in a, in a well of water that's pretty deep, it seems, uh, and you put someone in there, and it seems like either he's just there exposed to the elements, or there's some kind of a cover on it, and they go, they're somewhere else, because Reuben has to go there eventually, and he sees that that he's gone, so they're kind of having their lunch, their, their little siesta in the middle of the day, while their brother's down in a, in a pit in the ground that has no water in it, out in the desert, what do you think is going to happen to him? So it sounds like he's more reasonable and, you know, we can't lay a hand on him. We'll just expose him to the elements and, you know, as our kids like to say, well, you know, when something falls and breaks, it just fell and broke. I didn't, I didn't touch it. I mean, the microwave just fell off the countertop and it just broke. None of you have heard that, right? I mean the mirror just fell off the wall it just broke well how does a mirror m- magically you know lift itself off those hooks and decide it wants to fall and break oh it's because you were rough housing and you crashed into the wall and you you shook the wall and and you made it fall and break right oh yeah well that's what really happened we're just gonna put them in a pit that's deep in the ground that has no water and we're just gonna let bygones be gone we're just gonna see what happens some want to kill him. Well, you know, he's the more reasonable one. We'll just let him be killed, right? It's the same thing. It's the same thing. So they conspire. They, they plot. They plan. And, and he's dropped down in that well. And as verse 25 says, they sat down to eat. They sat down to eat while his brother was there in a hole in the ground left for dead. Now the caravan gets close. And Judah, interestingly, Judah, as it becomes uh, Hellenized in the, in, the, in, the, in the Greek world uh, later on, before our Lord Jesus Christ comes to this world, uh, as, uh, as the Greek empire spread, uh, the Jewish name Judah becomes Judas. And so you have here Judah. Uh, he's the line from which our Lord Jesus Christ is going to come. This is his family, right? This is his patriarch. This is his father. He decides it's best to sell the young brother. After all, what profit is it if we kill our brother? And so they receive some money, 20 shekels of silver. Why 20 shekels of silver? Well, one, uh, one very uh, famous 20th century Egyptologist, Kenneth Kitchen, has uh, uncovered that 20 shekels of silver was the going price for a slave in this part of the world, around Egypt, around this time, the 18th century B.C. And so they, they sold their own brother. The son their father loved, they sold him as a common slave, a common household slave slay they got their blood money and they dipped joseph's coat in blood ironically they deceived their own dad jacob the great deceiver himself once again being deceived and what's so striking again about this sinister plot the nature of it is that after jacob begins to mourn verse 35 says all his sons rose up to comfort him do you think they cared I mean, they're, they're play acting, they're, they're, they're pretending here to comfort dad. You know, dad is, dad is so down. You know, father, what happened? We don't know why you're still down. Why are you mourning so much? Why are you so sad? In fact, in verse 30, when it says there, uh, they returned, uh, 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 that the brother, the brother said, the boy is gone. Notice that. The boy is gone. Where shall I Go When it, when it says there, the boy is gone, it literally says, the boy is not. And it's an ambiguous thing that they say. It can either mean he's not, meaning he's dead. It's sort of a euphemism, a nice way of saying he's dead. He's not. Or that he's just sort of disappeared. Well, how do you think he disappeared? We plotted we wanted to kill him, but Reuben said not to. We put him in a hole in the ground. Then Judah says, let's get him up out of the hole. There's a caravan coming. Let's get, let's get some money out of it after all. I mean, what's the profit of him dying if we're not going to get any money out of this thing? He disappeared. The boy's not. We don't know where he's at. So they deceive their own dad. Is he dead? Is he disappeared? What is he? We don't know. But you see here, what a, what a picture we have. Already in, in, in chapter 37 of Genesis, what a picture. We already begin to see. We begin to see the, 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 the shadow and uh, uh, the outline of, of a Savior of the people of the Lord. Not just in that time, but also for all the world. We begin to see this shadow begin to form. And the shadow here is of a suffering, righteous, beloved son. And, of course, the story here is foreshadowing to us not just the end of Genesis, but the end of human history of our Lord Jesus Christ, that greatest Son of the tribe of Judah, loved by His Father, the only begotten Son of God. The, father that, uh, the Son, the Father, has love from eternity with an everlasting love and whom the Son has loved with an everlasting love, who was righteous, who came for us without sin, conceived by the Holy Spirit, as the Scriptures teach us, as we confess in our creed, set apart from us his brother so that he might be an, an intercessor for us sinners, but yet mercilessly plotted again. John's Gospel tells us that Jesus came, the Son of God, came to his own, and his own believed him not. They plotted, they planned, they schemed. He was sold over to others. He was bound and sold for the price of 30 pieces of silver by Judas. Here's a shadowy figure of Jesus to us this morning. And it's also important for us to realize, given the time in which we live, that to to remember that because we follow Jesus, because we follow Christ, we are Christians, we too are called to suffer with Christ in this world. Sneered at for being Christian. Mocked for being Christians. Shunned by our families for being Christians. Ostracized as outsiders for being Christians by those that we considered friends and close confidants, co-workers. But we are to count it all joy, aren't we? Count it all joy when you suffer with Christ, like Christ. It's a privilege for us to be Christians, to be mocked and reviled by the world. It's a privilege for us to stand up for what the Lord has said in his word about any given subject. Thus says the Lord, and we are going to believe that no matter what. It's a privilege to suffer with him, to participate in the fellowship of his sufferings, his mockings, his reviling. To be blessed. Count it all joy when you suffer. And so it's, we, we don't just want to say, well, we, here's the picture of Jesus. and But this is a picture to the believer as well of what it looks like to suffer, but to suffer with Christ. To be counted blessed. To stand for the truth of the gospel. And it's in this... Sinister plotting that we find a very surprising purpose for it all, briefly. What's going on here? I mean, why are the brothers doing this? What's the sinister plot all about? Well, again, I, I told you that verse, uh, the, the, uh, the end of the story here, the, the end of the chapter, gives us a, a little glimpse, a little preview of what's going to come, what's going to happen. Verse 36, uh, the Midianites sold him in Egypt to an officer of Pharaoh there's something greater to come God has a purpose for Joseph's suffering for his unrighteous suffering for the injustice done to him God has a purpose and a plan don't forget if you look back just quickly if you want to Don't forget what God has already told Father Abraham back in chapter 15. When when, when the Lord revealed himself in in a dream to Father Abraham, he said to them, as for you, Genesis 15 at verse 15, that you will, excuse me, in verse 13, uh, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. What, what was the Lord saying there? What was he talking about? To Abraham. Egypt. And they were going to serve whom in Egypt? They are going to serve the Pharaoh. And they are going to be brought out. We call that what? The Exodus, right? The Exodus, the going out. So God has God has already said, "Here is my plan is going to be," and now we begin to see that plan begin to take on some shape and some form and some some living color. God's purpose, though, was to prepare His people for that four hundred year sojourn, for that servitude, to prepare His covenant community. To be preserved from extinction in a land that was not their own, we see the providence of God, the hand of God, the purpose of God uh, at the end of the story here. This little chapter of the whole narrative, and if you go back and uh, if you go forward just quickly, uh, just to give a glimpse in chapter fifty at verse twenty, where we read Joseph or we read Joseph say, "You meant evil against me to his brothers, but God meant it for good." The psalmist says it like this in Psalm 105, when he summoned a famine on the land, that is God, when God summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he, that is God, had sent a man ahead of them, meaning the Israelites, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. That's an amazing statement. He had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. Psalm 105, verse 17. He, that is God, himself, the Lord, sent Joseph ahead of his people. But I thought his brothers sold him into slavery. I thought it was those Midianite traders that actually took him down there. I thought it was the the Israelites who sold Joseph into slavery, into Potiphar's household. Yes, it was. In the purpose of God. It was God who sent them using using the wicked plot and plan of these 11 brothers, using the, the monetary transactions in the ancient world of slavery to take Joseph down there for a greater good. you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. The purpose of God would take many, many years to come to fruition when a terrible famine hit the region and a little huddled, holy huddle of God's people found a safe haven down in Egypt. Protection, some food to eat. You see the purpose of God here, the preservation and providence of God is described for us in such beautiful ways in the Joseph story. It says to us as believers in the 21st century, it says to us that whatever, whatever even our own sinfulness, whatever the church even does in its sinfulness, whatever the world throws at the church, whatever the devil wants to do, God is able to turn it all to good. Here's the seed of the serpent trying to devour the seed of the woman, but yet God meant it for good. Whatever plots and schemes the devil tries to foist upon the church, to extinguish it from the earth, God is more mighty and God is wiser. We see the sufferings of Joseph, who is to become the Savior of Israel. And we see in his sufferings the sufferings of Jesus, the Savior of the world. We see the story that whatever the nations in their rage, the peoples and the plots try against the Lord and his Christ, as Psalm 2 says, it's God who laughs from heaven. We see that men like Pharaoh, when they try to wipe out all the Israelite children, God saved Moses. We see that when men like Herod tried to do the same, many generations later, a way of escape was given to that little holy family, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. We see that when the ancient serpent tries to devour the child, as Revelation 12 describes, the woman was given the wings of an eagle to fly into the wilderness. And when the serpent sent water to drown them, it was God who caused the earth to crack open to swallow the water. God came to their aid. The same promises to you and me. Whatever the devil tries to cause the church to become to turn it into the image of the world, to get us to get tired of, 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 of persevering on in the faith, Jesus says to us that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. And the church of Jesus Christ might be ground down to a tiny little huddle of 70 people like it eventually will be in the days of Joseph and Jacob and his sons. But the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. As Martin Luther wrote, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. Let's go in confidence today. Confidence that we serve a king who is almighty, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we come here and we feel maybe ground down by the world we might feel some persecution we might feel some disillusionment a lot of disappointment in our world but we served king jesus who suffered so that we might suffer with him but yet we know who gets the who gets the victory right in the end we know who wins the story don't we don't we know that we know who wins the story it's already it's already written out for us why fear why be afraid jesus wins Jesus wins. Let's pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the story of Joseph and how you showed your amazing providential hand purpose in his life so that we might find life in Jesus Christ. And now that we have life in him, that we might go out and continue, Lord, as your pilgrim people to serve you even as we suffer and even as we struggle in this world. Even, Lord, as we suffer injustice, even at the hands of other other fellow believers, we know that your purpose, in the end, is to turn all things for our good. And so, give us that confidence. Give us that joy, the Lord, to go out and and to stand up for Jesus Christ's sake and be bold in his name. Use, Lord, our prayers and use our lives and use our words. Use our suffering all to your glory to, to bring sinners to repentance, to their knees, to find in jesus christ the savior before he comes again as the mighty king as the lion who devours his enemies and we help we ask now that you would help us help us lord in this knowledge in this truth as we receive the lord's supper may it assure us and impress upon us that you lord jesus christ although you have died yet you've already won the victory by your resurrection life and we ask all this in his name and all of god's people say amen